Welcome to another exciting edition of Scuttlebutt, the official podcast of the National Museum of the Surface Navy, coming to you from the Associated Foundations Training Center aboard Battleship Iowa in the Port of Los Angeles. Today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what makes the organization tick, uh, what we like to call the ethos. I'm joined in the studio today by... Mike Getcher, nuts and bolts, I guess, chief engineer, chief operating officer, all kinds of stuff like that. Warren Fingler, producer, and um, yeah, apparently a loss for words at the moment. Go ahead, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle Abbey, the development manager here, and uh, animal caretaker. Cat manager. Cat manager. <laughs> My name's David Canfield. I'm the chief information officer and vice president with the institution, which I'm not supposed to say institution anymore. Uh, I guess I'm supposed to call it organization or company or something. I mean, we're all a little crazy, so. We're all kind of institutionalized, yeah. but... Uh, before we start, I have a question. What is the etymology of scuttlebutt? Have there been butts scuttled somewhere in the, in the history of the world? I mean, I, kind of a semi-serious and kind of funny no, conversation. It's, it's, no, it's actually a, it's a, it's a great question. Um, and honestly, the question fits very well in the, in the company ethos because mm-hmm. this is what we do is sit around and contemplate stuff like that. I honestly don't know. Um, when, I, when I made Chief, we were assigned to research certain things like what is the Charlie Noble and why did it get yeah. its name? Uh, and for those that don't know, the Charlie Noble is the galley smokestack. Yep. Um, and honestly, I have no idea why it's the Charlie Noble, and I have no idea why it's Scuttlebutt. Yeah, it'd be interesting to find out. I mean, there's fun things, just names of things. Uh, the zoo on the forecastle, for example, yeah. is a great one. Mm-hmm. You know, Pelican Hook and, and so forth. But uh, Turtleback, who is something most people wouldn't even know. Yeah. But, Did you um, know Don't Sweat the Small Stuff actually has its uh, beginnings on square riggers? Yeah, Absolutely. there's a lot because of... Because sweating line. Yeah. And, and you don't like sweat things. the small stuff. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's like a whole world of etymology we can explore someday, too, because yeah. a lot of things originate in, in oh, yeah. the maritime world. Well, yeah. you know, as I like to say about the U.S. Navy, and it's really true of the maritime world at large, uh, 250 years of tradition unhampered uh, by progress. <laughs> so I think the, the ethos question was something that came up here recently. Um, as most of you should know, we are uh, working on the design for the National Museum of the Surface Navy. And as part of that, the plan is to, in fact, uh, open up an area of the ship down on what we call second deck. And, and real quickly, main deck is the main deck as you would imagine it to be. And then in our system here on the on the Navy, the modern Navy vessels, second deck is the next one below, third deck, fourth deck, all the way down to seventh deck in our case. So on second deck, one deck below main deck, we have uh, a huge area of, of uh, birthing, um, spelled B-E-R-T-H-I-N-G, and it is a funny statement, but... Um, Speaking trust of me. etymology. Lots, lots, of, <laughs> lots of snoring happens there. Yeah, but uh, and we had realized you know, a number of years ago that uh, certainly these are areas that are really not useful from a museum perspective. You know, How many bunks can you show people before they're bored to tears? Um, but it's all, there's also a lot of history inside that space. So we need this space for the National Museum. It's, it's a, a very approachable uh, discussion for us to actually build out the spaces into a museum space. And so that's what we started to do. And in doing so, we have to sit down and, and talk with our designers, a big company called Applied Minds with a background both in, in Disney and industrial and, and, and any number of things, an amazing company. And we had to share with them a combination of our culture and our ethos about how we preserve things aboard the ship. Um, and we do have an ethos, and it hadn't been articulated terribly well. Uh, shortest version might be that you know, if we have a, a unique space aboard the ship, such as the FDR room, or a combat engagement center, or some place aboard the ship where there's only one of them, you know, that's considered 
if you will, sacred, or we don't touch that. We want to preserve that in, in the state that it was in when we received the ship. On the other hand, if you have areas aboard the ship that are just duplicates, in many cases, many, many, many duplicates, you know, uh, how much value do we have as an institute or as a museum to keep that? Sorry about the institution. Well, catch you there. <laughs> but uh, you know, I mean, uh, it, it's it, it's ingrained. So, but uh, I, I have been institutionalized. Yes. <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, you know, how do you do that? And we need to share that with people because we want to preserve as much of the ship as we can. But there's this practical need to actually make it functional, and that's that's the hard part. There's some balance there. And frankly, as I look back in my history, and I'm not going to pick on any particular organization. Uh, good catch again. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I walked aboard other vessels 20 or 30 years ago and found that whole sections had been either gutted. You know, in fact, one of the ships I'm thinking of, the one very close to my heart, um, the, the Admiral's stateroom uh, where Halsey had stood was, in fact, gutted by an earlier group, you know, from back in the 60s. You know, the, the owners of the vessel at the time or the managers of the vessel had done that. Um, or they had also done some of the get it, gutting of spaces just from a practical point of view. Oh, gee, it's easier to maintain because we don't have anything on the bulkheads. It's and that, a, that offends us, too. It's quite common, actually. The captain's cabin on another dreadnought-like vehicle, vessel, um, <laughs> was, was converted into, into an office. And you just you stop and you're like, this is a unique space. When we, when we opened the museum a decade ago... Uh, we had two mess decks that were identical. We turned one of those into museum space. We had two sculleries uh, from the enlisted mess that were identical. We took one of them out to provide space for the ship store, and we preserved the other one. And I think that that's really important to say we have kind of one of everything, uh, but we don't need more than one of everything necessarily. Yeah. And space is at a premium. You think of the ship, and it's 400,000 square feet. Most people don't even know that. 19 decks sounds huge. But boy, is it impractical. (laughs) It's just really awkward to get into spaces. Once you get below third deck, uh, it's essentially all vertical ladders. Well, and it's a lot of machinery. A lot of people are like, whoa, we should have used the Iowa class as command and control vessels instead of Blue Ridge and Mount Whitney. And I'm like, yeah, they're life support systems for a 16-inch 50 caliber. There's not a lot of office space on here. Yeah, and you think about... uh, this is what I usually say. The ship was designed literally to be in a gunfight. Mm-hmm. You know, it just has big armor, big guns, and and the stuff to support that. And so it's not really conducive to, um, you know, office space, museum space, stuff like that. So we're always trying to work within some some of those confines and, and while preserving the vessel. Same thing is true even when I, I work on opening up an office space. I'm trying oh, to yeah. keep the original stuff. We even keep drawings of, of how... For example, my office is the old, um, uh, I call it the HR room. It's the it's personnel. personnel office. Yeah, and originally before that, though, by the way, and this is something you can speak to about ships being modified all the time, that was the executive officer's office. Absolutely. Really? You know, and it's, from it's, World War II. It's wow. funny because, you know, uh, and, and I'll, I'll broach the subject here. We have people that come out and go, oh, we need to return the ship to the World War II configuration. Well, gosh, as a 1980s Iowa sailor, thank you for just dismissing all of what myself and my shipmates did in the Cold War aboard the vessel. Uh, Ships are living, breathing things. And it's funny because Mikey and I have actually, I wouldn't say cross sabers, but but had to have some discussions over the fact that um, I'm used to ships being modified. You know, I want a bracket here. We're just going to weld it to a wall. I want to paint this. I want to drill a hole here. And uh, and suddenly the battleship is the artifact and you're like, ooh. I can't just modify it, but certainly during her um, during her commissioning, um, that was absolutely done. Right. It was uh, you know when you needed something done, you did it. Yeah, vessels literally were modified the day after they were commissioned. They're, you know, they're from that moment on, living, breathing 
entities right. and they and they evolve over time and realistically we have to evolve also and i talk a lot with my shipmates about oh you tore my rack out uh, you know, you destroyed my office, whatever it was. And I'm reminded of a World War II vet I brought on board when we were in Richmond before we made it to L.A. And he was a great guy. And he said, can I go find my birthing? And I said, you know, it's changed a lot since World War II. And he said, no, I really want to go down and see it. So I took him down and we went forward to turret one on the second deck. And he found the head. And he's like, well, there's the head and here's the turret. So this must have been the space. He truly did not recognize it. Uh, and so we walked around and talked and gave him the cook's tour and he had a great time. And, uh, as we were leaving, I said, thank you. Really appreciate it. You know, did you have a good time? And he kind of looked at me with, uh, with a tear in his eye and he said, I really appreciate the hospitality. I wish I had never come because I can now no longer remember it as it was. I will yeah. always see it as it is. Yeah. And that's a, that's a really poignant moment. But at the same time, we couldn't have done what we did in the 80s without those modifications. And realistically, we can't do what we need to do as a museum without doing further modification. Yeah. yeah when I took my dad back, uh, the 50th reunion of his ship in Massachusetts, and, and he wandered around. And, and so much of that has been gutted, frankly. The, and uh, it just from 1960s ethos that they had at the time. You know, most of the birthing is gone, and, and uh, he couldn't even recognize some of those issues. It didn't seem to to shatter, you know, some of his memories, but but certainly it was not the same experience. It was not what he, he figured he might see. So. so I think it's really important, um, you know, just to sort of underscore how we feel about it as caretakers. I mean, obviously, I have a different view of the ship, I think, than uh, my current shipmates. Uh, nominally, just because I lived here for a real formative point period of my life, I, I tell people that the, the years between age 17 and age 19 are a lot longer. Those those two and a half years on board here are a lot longer than the decade I've actually been working for the organization. But um, you know, it it kind of hurts just a teeny bit every time you take a torch or a drill or uh, do some modification. But at the same time, you're like, we can advance to be the, the National Museum of the Surface Navy, tell the story of the entire Navy, uh, really be relevant and draw that thread connecting the past to the future. Uh, I, I know you have a son in the Navy. I have several children in the Navy. Um, Practically your entire family's in the Navy. My, yeah, this is, this <laughs> is Two more to go and you're done. This is accurate. Um, so, I mean, okay, so several, three. Uh, and the other uh, one that would be in if he were old enough to sign the contract. But um, uh, it... it it is something that we need to do because I want to tell their story. I want them to have an organization that tells their story. I want the future. I want their children to have an organization. And this is the quintessential centerpiece for a national museum. Um, and we can tell that story or we can just appeal to people like me. I was, I'm one of the youngest battleship sailors I know. Thank you, Ernie Reese. You are the other one four or five months younger than me. Just a <laughs> shout out there. Um, but if you only tailor to the battleship sailors, when I'm gone. Yeah. Yeah. What do you have? You pack up your tent and go home. There, there's two. Go ahead. It's, it's hard. I think for all of us too, because I walk into the spaces with the bunks, not there. And I kind of go, Oh, yeah. You know, it, it's difficult. And I tried to, I tried to talk him into the idea of making a map of the floor plan. You, you with succeeded. The way the bunks, <laughs> yeah. So that it somehow gets incorporated into the museum, the map yeah. of where all yeah. the bunks like were the in the space. That's, yeah. a, that's a concept of a witness mark. We actually did that. There was mm -hmm. modifications done to the birthing that I stayed in. And you want to do something like, 
when you tear out a bunk, you don't want to match the tile. You want to intentionally use a different type yeah. of tile mm-hmm. to say something else was here. Yeah. yeah. We did that down in Lost at Sea. Yeah. One thing that we do do here, I think we do it well, is that when we do modify things, we try to make it look like it would have been that way in service. So, for example, yeah. even mm-hmm. back aft in, in the CPO area for the, the veterans program, which we'll talk about here soon, um, you know, we bought legitimate Navy doors. And one thing that most people wouldn't know is that Navy doors have not changed for probably 50 years. Yeah, pretty much. Literally, the companies make about the same door, and so you can drop in a door. It's a little expensive, $1,800, as I recall. Or, for example, on our heads, our bathrooms up on the main deck, rather than do what I call a Home Depot door, uh, which I've seen on ships, you know, we bought a legitimate flat-bottom, uh, three-foot-wide three for, for wheelchair access door that looks legit. It's, it's, a, it's a real Navy door by a real Navy vendor. Um, same thing is true for, for our wheelchair access. We didn't need to hide them. We just placed them in such a way that we're able to get people in while retaining the, the appearance of the ship. So appearance and, and, and how it feels aboard the ship is really important to us. But then speaking to the preservation of the you know, organization, institution, company, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, really long term, the National Museum is a much bigger effort. Um, we have a much broader base of, of donation and fundraising and fundraising. In a, in a, Kyle, I want you to speak yeah. to this a little bit because, you know, sometimes people think of nonprofits as being or the, the word making money for a nonprofit is dirty. <laughs> it's a dirty word. It's not yeah. true. Uh, nonprofit status is I keep hearing. and I think it's a great phrase is that's a, a tax position, not a business plan. That's right? absolutely correct. Yeah. Right. Well, and I think from our perspective, we have this incredible vessel that we are preserving. We have the history in, inside of it and outside of it, and we want to make sure that that is our artifact number one, as we call it. That's that's the, the thing that people are here to experience and be immersed within. But from the, the funder's perspective, and I'm talking about the, um, I, I guess, major sponsors, foundations, things like that, maybe not necessarily the the individuals that come here and experience it. Um, they want to see community impact. They want to see advancement. They want to see progress in what you're doing. And you are making a positive difference to the broader community. And I think that if we don't continue to make some of these modifications and advance what we're trying to do and, and p- push our mission forward, that's when you stop losing interest from those people who are saying, how are we making this a better place to be? Yeah. You know, we, we, we know that we have people who love battleships. We already have their attention, but long-term the company, the organization, once again, the institution, whatever you want to call it really needs to have that really broad base of support and it's community base. It's across the nation now for us. It's not just gee, a bunch of battleship sailors who want to donate a few bucks and come by once in a while. This is a much bigger business, a much bigger issue that we need to address. Right. We talk about, you know, what our three pillars are. We have a community pillar, which obviously reaches out. Um, We have a um, sobriety meeting that we had just last night that's part of our community outreach. Um, We have a veterans pillar, uh, which I want to come back to in a second. And we have the education pillar, which includes both educating youth and the museum itself, educating the public. Um, we can't do those missions without adapting the vessel to serve that mission. The, the, the battleship was built to get in a fist fight with another ship on the high seas. She didn't do that very often. She was used in Korea to do shore bombardment, naval gunfire support, and that was her primary mission in the 80s. And so there were modifications done because the mission changed. Well, our mission has changed now, and going back to that veteran's if we don't provide accessibility, which by definition requires modifications to the vessel, um, we can't serve the veterans that literally served on board here. 
you know, they can't come back and visit the ship unless we make it more accessible. I mean, I hate to say it, but we're getting old. Yeah, yeah it, it's important. So what we try to do is do it in a thoughtful way to make it look right. You know, we, we once again, we want it to look like it should have been there if it was there. Um, and, and if we do, as we say, and I hate the term actually gut a space or really remove most of the, the birthing of the bunks or the lockers, which we've done uh, on portions of second deck, we still want to keep the rest of the ship feel around it. And that's part of the ethos that we relayed to applied models. Yeah, I love that in Lost at Sea, how it looks, you know, the you look like you're underwater in some places, but you also look like you're in, you're in you a ship. And that ship. was very intentional. It was very deliberate on our part to do that. We don't want to, we, we don't truly gut a space. We remove what we don't need or what we need space for largely the, the bunks and the lockers. And, and, right. and sometimes we make some modifications to doors. Um, and uh, just as a quick technical aside, we want to maintain a combination of fire barriers and also some watertight yeah. integrity. You know, we are a vessel floating. You know, we are not just encased in concrete or sitting on the dock somewhere. We are uh, an actual vessel in the main channel of a major harbor. So um, I want to maintain some of that integrity oh. as well. And that's been in the news a lot lately. Yeah. You know, we, we do want to make sure that we maintain it as... as um, we maintain our hull integrity and also, you know, the fabric of the ship, the fabric does not change, yeah. right? We are on a ship. If you change it so that it doesn't feel like you're on a ship, you've done something wrong. We're supposed to be representing all ships now. And it's kind of interesting. Um, my brother came down early on when we were in Richmond and gave us a hand with uh, the Dimension 2000 system, we're trying to, which we are still trying to bring online, by the way, 10 years later. <clears throat> but um, What is that? It's the uh, interior telephone system for the ship. Oh. Uh, and so, cool. uh, and it's what he did when he was on active duty on another ship. And he just kind of made the offhand comment, I'll come down and help you work on your ship because I can't go work on mine. His has been scrapped. Both of his have been scrapped. And so I thought to myself, you know, as we make this transition to National Museum, it does provide a place that is not just my ship. It's representative of everybody's ship. It's my dad. It's my brother. It's myself. It's my kids. And yeah, the whole family kind of is in. <laughs> there is that thing too. Like, you know, I'm a wooden boat sailor, but I still feel very much at home here because it's a shipboard environment. So there's definite, you know, translation across a lot of different types of vessels. Yeah, yeah we're very cautious too. We, we can, David and I and, and a few other people can walk through the, the ship and say, yeah, World War II, World War II, Korean mm -hmm. modification, 1980s, World War II. There's so much fabric from all three eras. And I love the, the comment you made earlier yeah. too. Um, you know, people think we should return it back to World War II. And by the way, there's even been board interest for other companies yeah. or organizations um, to modify certain aspects of their ship back to World War II config. And it is disrespectful because in, in many ways to the history of the ship. And so these, these ships, the Iowas, um, we have, or at least three of the, the Iowas have three eras to um, address or to reflect um, the New Jersey having a fourth a with fourth, Vietnam right. with its one-year deployment there. So it really, they, they span such a long time frame in, in the Navy history. You know, uh, they're in the, the, the world of the Navy nominally 50 years and an active duty of 19 years or so, right. you know, thereabouts. And, and so um, there, there's a lot more history there, and you have to respect all of it. It's absolutely true. I mean, one of the things that's kind of neat being a veteran, when I first went to the one of the very first reunions, I sat down uh, and chatted with somebody, just randomly sat at a table, and by luck of the draw, uh, ended up sitting next to somebody who had worked on the exact same pieces of equipment that I had run, um, you know, a decade or so before I was born, cool. which That's was cool. interesting. Wow. That's cool. 
Yeah, it's fun. It's something, the ethos we have about this is, is something we've never really shared uh, or perhaps even had the opportunity to. We talk about it at times. We've never documented it in any particular way. But, you know, I think that there's kind of an opportunity to do that here. Um, and in fact, I had to write a fairly long email just to Applied Minds to kind of describe that ethos and that culture and what we try to do and what we try to preserve. It's one of the things I'm working on internally. We're redoing our onboarding process for both volunteers and staff. And as part of that, sort of codifying what is our culture yeah. uh, and the ethos, our, our preservation ethos, how we feel about the ship is certainly part of that. Um, you know, part of it is we like to have fun. We like to tease people about, you know, cats, for instance, Kyle. <laughs> um, Kyle may get a new a new name here. He might not yeah, be maybe. Captain Roundup anymore. Cat herder. No, all these animals, I, yeah, I've changed my Dr. Out, how to care Dr. for my yard. Oh, yeah. Dr. Doolittle oh. speaks to me a lot. <laughs> Anyway, that's a that's a subject for maybe another <laughs> podcast. We might do a whole one on Kyle's cats. Yeah. Um, but you know, we like to have fun. We like to be real. We like to be genuine. We we're talking about topics that we do on the on the podcast, uh, and we love to have guests in here. We want to be inspirational. We want to have people that come in that that really drive a poignant point home. And obviously, we want our listeners to enjoy listening. We also just want to be real. We want to be ourselves. Uh, and, I think, and and let people know kind of who we are. I was going to say, I think that part of the special piece of what we have with the team itself is that everybody is so diverse in what they bring to the organization um, mm -hmm. from their 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 life background to their skill sets to their outlook on where we are going and where what maybe we should be doing more to, to engage or whatever it may be. Um, you come here and there's something for everyone because there is the representation of everyone's of input. I think nobody comes here with an idea and is shot down. Everybody's heard and implemented or um, work, they work together to make that idea better and work for us. But it, it's really a special environment where you have just this extremely diverse group of people that create this atmosphere of anybody's coming from the historical standpoint to the education, to veterans, to community, to um, the hands-on kind of work that goes on. I think that everybody is um, is different, and that makes it a special place and a place for everyone because of that. Yeah, there yeah. is no lack of passion here. By the or way, that. just just reflecting on something that you kind of touched on a little bit, but it's a little side trip too. Is you know we think of ourselves as a museum, but really we're we're the, this multifaceted organization. You know, part attraction, part community asset, part museum, part artifact, and everything else. And you have to have a broader view. You can't just be uh, and forgive the the. the the ding perhaps, but you can't just be a purely museum person here. You have right. to be able to embrace all of it. Um, you know, I had somebody email me this week about, you know, the, some, some of the folks out there in the pure museum world are looking to only preserve just what they have uh, here. We're trying to make an impact in our community while right. preserving as much as we can. It's, it's, there's a different balance there. It really is. And it's actually kind of a tough balance. I was talking to one of our, uh, our security volunteers who retired chief petty officer and, um, he's a museum junkie. I'm kind of a museum junkie mm -hmm. and, uh, <clears throat> pardon me. He, um, he was talking about the air force museum keeps dinging him for money. And he's like, I don't want to give you money for an experience. I want you to restore the airplane that's back behind the hangar. That's what I want to see. And I, I chatted with him for a while and I said, yeah, but you and I are kind of a dying breed. I mean, people do want the experience in addition to the artifact. And you can you, you can go too far one side or the other. Yes. I mean, I, I don't think people are real interested in going to, to old buildings and looking at junk under glass necessarily. But at the same time, if you go to a museum, 
an artifact or two is kind of uh, kind of important. And obviously, we the ship is artifact number one. And so, you know, as we deal with applied mines and the design, uh, not only talking about the ethos of preservation on the ship, but we're trying to strike that balance between being relevant, being current, telling the story of not just our story, but the future story of the Navy, the past story of the Navy, and still being able to address the, the desire of people to come out and see a legit, real piece of history that they can, if not handle, at least put their eyes on. Yeah. That's one of the things that I love about our new Mothball tour is because it's not just going into a space and talking about it. You're actually going in there to sort of do something and you get to explore. You're experiencing it. Yeah, you get to explore a little bit and you're not told where to go. So that's a kind of another wrinkle that we're adding that yeah, it's got an escape room feel. You're actually trying to, to solve a, a puzzle or problem, mm-hmm. which is literally what we did. And this is kind of a plug for a fun tour, but that's literally what we did up in Sassoon Bay for six weeks, getting the ship ready for tow. You yeah. But that's, well. the, that's what I'm talking about is that the difference in the tr- experience that we're trying to create. Right. It's not just to hey, tell you where to go, but mm-hmm. this is, this is part of how we lived it. And yep. it lets you get to know the ship in a different way too. You kind mm-hmm. of, <laughs> for lack of a better phrase, you bond with the ship a little bit. Which, you know, again, comes back to what we're talking about here. What are we trying to do? Who are we? Mm-hmm. And uh, and why do we do what we do? Uh, you mentioned there's a lot of passion here, and there's a lot, that, I mean, it's a it's a, it's a big scope, you know, yeah. to, to mm-hmm. do the community outreach, to do the preservation, to do the experiential, to do the attraction, to, to properly maintain and preserve the museum artifacts to have a veterans outreach program to educate children. That is a huge, huge scope. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm thinking we're, we're, we're hitting it. Yeah. yeah. Cool. And on that Great. note, all right. uh, next time we're going to bring back the, the answer to the etymology question. We yeah. will. Yeah. We will. Absolutely. <laughs> I feel like it goes back to tall ships too. To square I, I'm thinking it, I think does it does too. I just think you're biased on tall ships. I'm totally biased, but yeah. yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> Um, also, uh, we'll be doing an episode uh, coming up uh, exclusively on the Mothball Tour. We want to wait until the boss is back yeah. since he was a big mover and shaker uh, up in Richmond, and uh, his opinion will be valuable. Uh, once again, if you have input on the podcast, if you want to give us a topic or uh, throw rocks at us, whatever, uh, send us an email, podcast, P-O-D, oh, right. yeah. virtual rocks, virtual <laughs> yeah. rocks. podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T podcast at L-A-Battleship.com, or as I'm fond of saying, LaBattleship.com. Very French. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Send us that email. Uh, let us know what you want to hear. Thanks for listening. We do appreciate our audience very much. And tune in next time for another exciting episode of Scuttlebutt.